Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great interview and conversation to help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development. And today, our topic is leadership development and specifically helping new managers make the transition from individual contributor to manager. I'm excited to have our guest today. He is someone that's become a friend as well as a member of our talent development think tank community over the last few months. And many of our members have been impressed with the knowledge he brings on this topic of manager development. Our guest today is Eric Girard, who has over 30 years of experience helping improve the performance of managers and employees. He specializes in the development of new managers, focusing on their successful transition to their new role and on their team management skills. And he has a high energy and engaging facilitation style that we've talked a lot about and we do get into in this interview some of his best practices on facilitation because I think that's something that all of us are trying to get better at. I know I am. Eric is a passionate lifelong learner and when not designing or delivering training, he enjoys spending time outdoors with his wife and twin 14-year-old daughters. And he is also a Patty Open Water instructor pursuing the rating of Master Scuba Trainer. Finally, Eric is the author of the new book, Lead Like a Pro, The Essential Guide for New Managers. And in this interview, we dig into some of the content from that book and especially guidance for new managers, those making the turn or the transition from IC to manager, why that's so hard and what we can do to better equip and support managers making that transition. We talk about some of the other content from his book. And then, as I mentioned, I also ask Eric about some of his tips and tricks in facilitation, especially for virtual workshops, something that you know many of us are running these days. And like I said, I'm always trying to get better at. And then finally, as I mentioned, Eric is also a member of our Talent Development Think Tank membership community. He's not only a member of the regular community, but also of our entrepreneur group, which we started a couple months back and has really dug in and, and looked to provide value to others. And I'm looking forward to having him leading a call for our community in the future on this topic of uh, developing managers. So if you're not a member of the community, come check that out. Our website is talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. You can find all the info there. Just click on community and it'll give you all the info on our community as well as the three tiers that we have pricing. And as of right now, we're still running a free 14-day trial. So you can go sign up, check it out, join a couple of our calls and see if it's something that you want to stick with or if it's not working for you, then you can drop it as well. All right. So without further ado, here is my interview with Eric Girard on his new book, Lead Like a Pro, The Essential Guide for New Managers. Enjoy. All right. I'm joined now by Eric Girard, who is a management development expert and author of the new book, Lead Like a Pro, The Essential Guide for New Managers. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. So great to have you on. We've gotten to know each other Pretty well over the last uh, few weeks as uh, we were connected by our uh, good friend, Bob Gentle, and you've joined our, our membership community and had me as a guest on your podcast. And so I'm excited to return the favor and, and have you on the show here, especially to talk about this new book, which is on a topic that I am really interested in and passionate about because I think there's so much opportunity to help people in this space, especially in that transition to management. But before we get there, Eric, I'd love to just start with a little bit of your background. How did you get into all of this in the first place? It, it actually goes back to Boy Scouts. So when I was a teenager, I was teaching kids how to swim and paddle a canoe and row a boat. 
at a summer camp in the Sierras in California. And I just, I loved it. I loved it when kids would get a concept, they would understand, they would go from what's this? Oh, it's a paddle to, Hey, I can make this canoe do whatever I want. And the light bulb would pop. And that was so gratifying for them and for me at the same time. And I thought, you know, there might be something to this. So I went to college and discovered what was then ASTD, the American Society for Training and Development. And immediately I was like, oh, these are my people. Went into a career in training and development first by teaching people how to use their Macs and their PCs. And that was back in the very early 90s. So the whole idea was, you know, I I had to help people transition from DOS to a graphic user interface. Mm. And I would say, okay, this is a mouse. And the tail comes out of its head because the first thing people would do is, oh, it's a mouse. So the tail must come out the back and they would turn the mouse around the wrong way. So no, actually the tail comes out the head and that's how you, you hold a mouse. That's how you use a mouse. So that's, that's how I got started in learning and development. Fast forward after some, some sojourns to Australia and Japan and so on, I came back to the Bay Area and landed in Silicon Valley in late 1999 and started in employee development and then very quickly got into management development. And that's where I've settled. That's where I've stayed. So I've worked at places like Apple, Applied Materials, Symantec, and other heavy hitters in Silicon Valley doing management development. And I love it. I have a real soft spot for new managers and helping people make that transition from being a great high-performing individual contributor to being a great people manager. And that's just, that's where I've decided that's where I'm going to make my impact. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the hardest uh, transitions out there and, and something I definitely want to talk about. Before we do, you, you worked in these large companies working with managers and then later went out on your own. I'm wondering why you made the decision to do that. So this was in 2020. This is during the pandemic. So during the pandemic, some things were changing in, in my company where I was working. And my wife and I had been talking about leaving Silicon Valley for quite a while. And sort of on the side, she wasn't saying much about it, but she had been talking to a realtor in the Seattle area. And, you know, we started talking about it and she's like, oh, by the way, Stephen, the realtor says we should go look at the Kitsap Peninsula in Seattle. And I'm like, or outside of Seattle. I'm like, all right. So we made a couple of trips up and scouted the place out. And we just, we looked at each other and said, Silicon Valley is too expensive, too crowded, too stupid. Let's get the heck out of Dodge. And so during the pandemic, during 2020, we moved, bought a house. She started a new job and started a side hustle. I started my company and I became a scuba instructor all during the pandemic. And so it was a really productive pandemic for us. And, you know, I just decided, you know what, I, I want it. I've, I've got enough experience. I can do this on my own. And I learned very early on to surround myself with experts who can help me run the business well, including yourself. Mm. And it's it's working. I don't I don't think it would have worked as well had I done this 10 years ago. I think this was the time. Yeah, this was the right time. And and it was the right time for all these things, right? We can look back and sometimes say, like, oh, I wish I would have done this sooner or that, but we almost always do things at the right time. So that's really cool to hear. Also interesting to hear that you got into scuba instructing then. I guess scuba was good for social distancing. I didn't think about too many people going out and doing that in 2020. <laughs> it was pretty interesting because in depending on where you were in the pandemic, you know, you you don't just show up and go scuba diving. Like there's a progression of doing some online e-learning first, and then you come to a classroom and then you go out to the pool 
and you start on the pool deck and then move into the shallow end of the pool and then eventually progress to the deep end doing more and more skills. But there was a point where we had to wear masks on the pool deck and it was really cumbersome because you know you're you're around water and you're around all this this heavy gear and you have to wear your mask but then you have to take it off to actually put in the regulator for the scuba gear and it it just became really cumbersome. So a lot of folks decided to get certified in scuba during the pandemic, but it was it was pretty cumbersome for a little while. And I was really yeah. glad when the mask mandate started to relax. Yeah, to go from one mask to another mask. And uh, <laughs> it was just, yeah, it was really it was a lot that. of fussing about. Yeah. I was just thinking, you know, once you get under the water, I don't think that the disease could be communicated through through the water. So that'd be once a good place to be. Once you're underwater and breathing off your own regulator, totally fine. No yeah. worries. You're completely separate from other people. But right. yeah. when you're around other people on the pool deck and so on, it's 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 kind of clunky. Yeah. Reminds me water related, not scuba, but just right before the pandemic in like March or early, early or February or early March, I was given a gift of a stand-up paddleboard, something I'd been wanting for a long time. And it was one of the best gifts I've ever received, not just because I'd been wanting a stand-up paddleboard, but it was amazing you know, during the pandemic for social distancing. I was just out on the water paddling you know, by myself or with the kids uh, every weekend and you weren't near any other people, which was, and you got to be outside, which was nice. Um, but it was different in every, in every place or different activities. I want to get back to this topic of manager development and especially this transition that you mentioned. Why is it so challenging to make this transition from individual contributor to manager? I would say the number one thing that folks overlook is that you have to completely change your mindset from I am responsible for tasks and getting my my job done. I'm responsible for being a highly competent individual to I'm responsible for helping other people get things done. And I'm measured by how well my team functions. So that's a big fundamental shift that a lot of people don't make. And so they wind up trying to do it all. They don't delegate. And as a result, they, they wind up with a hero mentality and they get burned out really fast. And their team is directionless because the team's like, well, what do you need me to do? Oh, I got it. I got it. I can do it better. I can do it faster. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing is that a new manager has to make that mental transition from, I am an expert individual contributor to, I get results through other people. And that's and and that's a lot more soft skills and a lot more coaching and providing feedback than just you know getting in and getting stuck into the coding or or whatever your job used to be. Yeah, I've thought about this a lot. Had lots of conversations with people. I always think that this is the number one challenge in talent development. There's lots of things people in talent development have been trying to figure out over the years, but the number one most common challenge I hear is helping people make that transition from IC to manager or just the concept that people are recognized for being a high performing individual contributor. You're doing such a great job. We're going to reward you by promoting you to manager so that you can teach other people how to do this, right? When it requires completely different skills, oftentimes they're not getting the training for it. Even if they do, management is a very different skill. Like you said, they may not be so inclined to be able to teach it. And I think there's even data to show that oftentimes when when high performing salespeople are promoted to sales manager, that results go down, right? Because they're not you know, they're trying to take it all on and they're not really leading or managing people. It's just not the right the fit, not the right fit. Yep, absolutely. Happens all the time. Saw it all the time in Silicon Valley. And and that was a big, a big impetus for me to choose this line of work in my own business. 
So what do you think are some of the the keys, like what's working and not working in terms of manager development and helping managers, you know, new managers make this transition? Well, what I write about in my book and what I teach in my classes is before anything, you need to beef up your emotional intelligence. And, and it's not necessarily that you have to be innately emotionally intelligent or innately empathetic. These are skills that you can learn. Okay. You can read books, for example, Daniel Goleman's classic book on emotional intelligence or just about anything Brene Brown ever wrote could be very, very helpful to you in sort of building those muscles of being an empathetic human. I think that that's very, very important, especially these days with everything that's going on in the world and what's going on around us. I think all of us need to build our empathy muscles and especially managers. So that's that's the first thing that I would say. We've already covered mindset. The next thing that I would talk about is you need to be really good at setting goals for your team so that they understand what's expected of them. And so I'm a big proponent of SMART goals. And then once you set goals and people understand who does what, how much, and by when, then we need to talk about coaching and feedback and how you're going to help other people achieve those results in a way that works for them and also gets the job done without you standing over them and micromanaging them and, and you right. know, being like uh, you know Michael from the office, you know, sort of staring at people as they right. try to do their jobs. Yeah. So those, those are some of the fundamentals that I really focus on. And, and I think one of the hardest shifts is from IC to managers that focus from me to them, right? To focusing on empowering your people and and challenging and pushing them to go and delegating really, because you made the comment earlier, something a lot of managers are thinking, oh, we need to get this done. I don't want to sit here and explain it to you. I can get it done a lot faster myself. And then I'll either take it on or micromanage it, which you know causes misery for everyone else on the team. <laughs> yes, it does cause misery. And I like to say that delegation is an investment mm. because of course, you know, let's let's say that for the sake of argument, let's say that I was the team's best engineer, software engineer, and I was the best at coding. I was the best at Python or you know, fill in the blank for the for the the coding language, the programming language, and I get promoted. Well, of course, I'm gonna be able to write code faster and better than the junior member on the team. But that's not the point. The point is you're trying to get results through other people. And so if you invest the time and energy in somebody who may may have low skill in that area, but high will wants to do it, and you you tap into that energy and that enthusiasm and say, you know what, you can do this and I'm going to mentor you through this, then you create somebody who may exceed your abilities and becomes an asset to teach others on the team. So it becomes a flywheel. So I really believe in, in delegation and in, in, in thoughtful delegation and development of individuals so that it becomes a multiplier effect. Yeah. It's hard to do, right? Because it requires some level of trust for other people. You also mentioned micromanaging, which I think is the worst thing that managers can do. They they often people are are you know exposed to it. They're micromanaged early on, and then they kind of you know use it and pass it on later, even though they know, or or I would think would know how hard it is to work for a micromanager. You know, it's one thing to hold the task themselves. You're talking about the importance of delegating. Some micromanagers might say, well, I am delegating. I'm giving those tasks to other people to do. And then I'm just making sure they do it the right way so that we don't, you know, have to redo it. But there's there's a lot of problems with that. Yeah. It 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 becomes a problem of motivation. 
where you could take somebody who's, who's fired up and ready to go. They might be low skilled on a particular task, but they've got the will, they want to do it. And then if you stand there behind their back and you know kind of prod them every time they make a mistake, the motivation is going to disappear. Dan Pink in his book, Drive, talks about three things, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And you've got to give people the opportunity to, to be self-directed. You've got to give them the opportunity to achieve mastery over a task. And then you've got to have some sort of transcendent purpose for them to do the thing beyond just, if I do this right, I get to keep my job. There's got to be something bigger than us keeping us at work. So, you know, micromanagement causes all kinds of problems. And I have to admit, I was guilty of micromanaging. When I started, when I was a manager at Applied Materials, I did everything wrong. And that's kind of part of my origin story about why I'm doing this now, you know, because I I knew better and still screwed it up and mm. micromanaged and terrorized my team. And it did not end well. And mm. so that's something I want to help other folks avoid is you can avoid misery for yourself and your team by just thinking a little bit about how am I going to invest and pour into my employees? Yeah. So I get the, the very best out of them and they feel good about what they're doing. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's interesting you know, that you have that experience and you're on this mission now to help so many managers to avoid what you went through. That's, that's a hard change to make for managers, right? Who don't like giving up control. I think we both understand where it comes from, right? There's a lot, there's a, there's a fear there that if I give it up control or it's not done the right way, that it's going to reflect poorly on us, that I'm going to lose my job or, or something like that. How do you help communicate this to managers and help them see the light on that and start to really delegate and trust their team more and, and micromanage less? Well, I think the, the word that you've used a couple of times that I really like is trust. And Patrick Lencioni is my go-to when it comes to trust. And, and when we look at the five dysfunctions of a team, at the, at the bottom of the pyramid that he draws, that's on the front of the book um, and in the model, at the base of it is trust. And so how can you create a relationship with each employee that's based on mutual trust, mutual respect, mutual understanding, you know, making little deposits into that relationship bank so that when you start making bigger asks and start delegating things, you can trust that there's going to be communication back to you if, if the employee has a problem or can't do something. Will they um, feel comfortable enough coming back to you saying, hey, I have a question about this. I'm not sure about it. And then related to that, there's a, a marvelous HBR, Harvard Business Review article called Who's Got the Monkey? which is, it was originally written in 74, I think, and then it was republished in the 90s. And it's this fantastic article that talks about the art of delegation. Mm -hmm. And so once you build trust with your employees, they trust you and you trust them, then you can start to say, okay, there's six levels of delegation, six levels of degrees of freedom that you can have in any given situation. Starting from level zero, which is you sit there twiddling your thumbs waiting to be told all the way up to level five, which is you just go ahead and handle it. You don't even bother to tell me about it. And you know what I like to do is, is get with my team, I like to let people know, look, I want to get you at least to level two, where you, you face a problem, you encounter a problem, you do a little bit of thinking about what you think the answer might be to that. Come to me and bounce that off me. All right. Don't come to me with, hey, I got a problem. I don't know what to do. Mm. It's, you know, hey, I've got a problem. I've got a situation. Mm. I thought about it a little bit and I've got a couple of options I want to run past you. And then together we decide. So that's mm -hmm. going to help build trust, help me trust you 
because you're demonstrating critical thinking and not just dumping the monkey on my back, mm. which, which I really appreciate. You know, I don't, I don't, yeah. I, I, you know, I always tell my teams, you know, accept no monkeys, you know, don't take other people's burdens. Yeah. Make sure that other folks handle it themselves. I like that. It reminds me, I just had a conversation a few days ago with a very good friend who works as sort of a chief operating officer or integrator for a CEO of a, a very small organization. And he was venting to me how frustrated he was that the CEO is such a bottleneck for all the decisions because he sort of delegates, but won't, you know, approve things, doesn't get to that higher level, what you're talking about. And so, you know, to the point where this friend of mine said, you know, Hey, I'm making this amount of money. I have the potential to make twice as much through bonuses. If we hit certain performance, you know, key performance indicators, but I can't hit them because the CEO won't let me because he's a bottleneck on making these decisions and we can't grow the business further or get to where we need to go, which is incredibly frustrating, right? But it's because at least, you know, from the little bits I heard of the CEO, who is the manager in this position, is not giving up control and not willing to trust people to just go make decisions and and run their parts of the business for them. Yeah, that's, oh, that is so hard. <laughs> yeah. And and that's, that's where I think I would take a detour into executive coaching mm-hmm. and bring in an executive coach to say, okay, so, you know, why are you hanging on to everything? Why is it that you're you feel the need to be the bottleneck mm. and maybe surfacing some of those issues. And and they might be genuine systemic issues that are going on in the company. There might be real problems that the CEO sees, or it might be something internal to the CEO that, that a good coach can ferret out and, right. and help them resolve. Yeah. So that's, it's just, th- there could be a lot to that. What else can we learn from this, this new book that you're putting out on uh, leading like a pro? So, We've talked a lot about the importance of empathy first and then making that mental transition. From there, we've talked about goal setting and delegating is really, really important. I put a lot of emphasis on coaching and feedback uh, in the book and, and spending a lot of time becoming a good coach. Michael Bungay-Stanier is, is my current hero when it comes to coaching. He's got his seven coaching questions that I absolutely love. Right. So those are definitely in the book and I, and I nice. credit him with those. Those are from the, uh, the the coaching habit. The coaching habit. Read it. He's been on the on the podcast a couple of times, and yeah, so many people look to him because he makes it so simple, right? And it just ask these questions and try to get out of the way for people. Yeah. So if you haven't read the coaching habit, fantastic book. You know, one of the things that I really love about his book is he's a little cheeky in the book. You know, yeah. he he he's, he throws in a little humor. And so I will, I will admit I was shameless and kind of stole that approach as well hmm. and threw a little, a little humor myself. Cause I think, you know, there's nothing worse than a boring management book. It'll never get read you know, right. if it's, if it's boring. And so right. I, I, I read his cover to cover and I'm like, shoot, this is a good approach. This is the way. Yeah. So the seven, seven coaching questions, all about asking open-ended questions and taming the advice monster Mm. and not trying to tell the employee or the team member what to do, but try to get them to to come to their own answer so that they own it. That's super, super important. I talk a lot about providing feedback. Sometimes you do need to provide feedback if the situation is urgent. You may not have time to coach. You may have to provide feedback. And so I talk about the SBI model, situation, behavior, and impact. Really, really simple model that is easy to implement right away. I I teach a lot about that. And then I spend a lot of time talking about change management and and how important the manager's role is in managing change in the 2020s and how everything is changing so quickly. And so I provide a couple of different models 
for helping manage change in an organization. I talk about the, the Kubler-Ross change curve. I talk about the, the Bridges Transitions model. And, and I provide those as, as options for folks so that they can be prepared to help manage and mitigate change in their organizations. Yeah, that's great. There, I mean, there's so much change going on. I feel like everybody I talk to in L&D right now is saying, our organization is going through a transformation. We're going through these major changes. We've got to find ways to empower and enable people to get through these. And a lot of it's going to come down to middle manager management, right? There's frontline managers that are uh, helping to translate that and guide people and, and teach and inspire people on the front lines. So I think it's really important. Coaching and feedback something that you know organizations are always trying to get better with. And so I'm glad to hear that's in there as well. I wanted to ask you about facilitating workshops because you you run a lot of workshops for managers, for new managers, and in this generally in this area of, of manager development. And certainly running and facilitating workshops has changed a lot over the last few years. We talked about the pandemic. Everybody knows how that has changed things and created a lot more virtual workshops. What are some of the things you've learned over the last few years in, in running workshops, especially on your own? And I'd love to share some best practices that you've, you've picked up along the way. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got currently over 20 workshops that range everywhere from you know an hour-long course on goal setting all the way up to a nine-hour-long course on managing teams and everything in, everything in between. I'm certified in situational leadership, certified in DISC. So there's, there's a lot that I can offer. And one of the things that's been really nice is how Zoom has adjusted and adapted. You know, you've got Zoom, you've got Adobe Connect, you have all these tools now that have adjusted and adapted for today's reality in terms of virtual courses and the needs of virtual courses. So it's super easy to spin up a virtual course and, and deliver it well and have the same impact as an in-person course. So I do a lot of virtual stuff. One thing that I have learned is that even though I can produce myself, I can produce my own courses, I've learned that it's smoother to bring on a producer. So even with a fairly simple course, it just has a few breakout rooms because that's just one less thing, one less task that mm. you have to load yourself with. It's like if I've got Bernie off to the side watching things, he's ready to drop links in, he's ready to set up breakout rooms then the learner experience is much smoother and the learners get more from it because they're not waiting for me to click through dialogue boxes to get a breakout room set up or something. Yeah. So producers, very, very worth it. Hmm. And there are a lot of folks out there that provide virtual facilitation and virtual production. It's, it's not difficult to find a good virtual producer to run your programs with you. Yeah, that's great. I've used producers sometimes, not a not a ton. And you mentioned that the other day to me, and something I've been thinking about. You know, can we leverage that more? Certainly, in the virtual keynotes I give, we we almost always have those to try to make things smoother because you know all kinds of things go wrong. Like you mentioned, creating breakout rooms, all that sort of stuff. How do you think about in a virtual space? making sure that everybody in a program or a cohort or a class feels included when obviously you have some people that have a propensity to speak up, others that don't, some people who may be hiding with, you know, camera off and possibly multitasking. Like how do you, you try to ensure that people are getting value and everybody feels like they're included? Yeah. One of the things I do is I always set guidelines. So I used to do ground rules, but ground mm -hmm. rules sounds really rigid. And so I put out a set of seven or eight guidelines and they include everything from cameos are cool. You know, if you've got a four-legged friend or a child that wants to be on camera, no problem. Because mm -hmm. a lot of folks are embarrassed, you know, if their kid's on their lap, they, they want to turn the camera off. I'm like, no, it's fine. It's fine. Mm -hmm. That's okay. 
I also ask folks to stay focused. I just, I just ask them to resist the temptation to toggle over to Slack or email. And I acknowledge how difficult that is because, of mm. course, you know, you're sitting there with your screens. Like right now, I have two screens going. At home, I usually have three. You can bet that Slack and email are up there someplace. And so I will model that and I will minimize those as well or quit mm. them and say, listen, for this, for this time, I'm going to be focused on you all. So I'm going to encourage you to try to do that. I, I try not to make any assumptions. I get it all out in terms of what's distracting us, what's around us, kids, pets, email, Slack, the things that ding and beep, phones, yep. turn it over, turn it off, turn on focus if you've got a Mac or, or turn on do not disturb just for that time. And then what I'll often do in a session is I'll st- you know, and I'll let people know that I'll call on them. I'll let people know mm. that, that I may call on you as well. And I encourage cameras on, but if they want cameras off for whatever reason, it doesn't matter why, you know, I just ask folks, Hey, you know, let's get started by saying hello with our cameras on. And then if you would be more comfortable with your camera off, that's fine. I'm going to trust you. Cause uh, for some folks, it's incredibly difficult to be on camera for a long period of time. It's really mm. distracting and, and distressing. So, Hey, just turn your camera on. So I know you're there turn it off if you want to, but then just realize that I may call on you. And so what I'll often do is I'll throw a question out to the room and say, does anybody have a comment on X? Mm -hmm. And there will always be somebody who speaks up, right? So that kind of gives me a cue as to who the folks are that are not shy and don't mind. Once I've got a beat on those folks, I may then go to somebody who hasn't said anything, you know, hey, Andy, I've heard from you in a little bit. What do you think about this? And I've never had somebody say, no, I don't want to participate. They just, they kind of smile a little bit and they turn mute off and they say, oh yeah. And then they, 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 they contribute. So as long as I give them a heads up that that's going to happen and I let them know that it's not to embarrass them or shame them or anything like that. I just want to include everyone. It works fine. I think what's worse is if you just keep relying on the same people who always speak up Mm. And let two or three people monopolize the conversation. I think that that shuts down everybody else, and so they all check out, and out comes the phone, out comes Slack. But you know, if you let people know, hey, I'm going to call on you, I'm going to include you, and you never know when, then you know they're kind of ready, and it works. I think it works well. Yeah, I, I like that setting the ground, uh, not necessarily rules, but guidelines, mm-hmm. and, and acknowledging the difficulties that, that are out there, and and how you can best approach that, and how you're giving them your attention, and you hope they'll you'll get theirs, and then looking for those people that may not be joining the conversation right away, and inviting them or possibly calling on people, but letting them know ahead of time you might be doing that. Some some great great best practices there. I know you run a lot of these programs. As we wrap this up, I'm curious, you know, for people working in talent development, we've got a lot of people creating and running leadership development programs, manager development programs. For those people listening, what's one more piece of advice or, you know, thing they can get from the book or the work that you've done to help people think about creating better manager or leadership development programs? You know, my focus is always on the participant or the reader. So always answering the with them question, what's in it for me? And so as I was writing the book constantly, you know, as I, as I wrote the manuscript and as we went through and edited it, it was constantly about what value am I bringing to the reader or with my classes, what value am I bringing to you? What can you do as a result of my class right away? So for example, I just facilitated a session this morning. It was part one of two. It's a two-parter, two, two-hour sessions. 
And I promised participants that they would be able to do something different, better today, even though we weren't done with the program. So just making it immediately applicable, no matter what, is super important. And and not speaking in in generalities, not speaking in, in anything vague or fuzzy, but if you do these things, you will see improved performance in yourself or in your team today. That I think is the the thing that differentiates a good program from an okay program. Yeah, absolutely. Eric, this has been great. The new book again, is called Lead Like a Pro, The Essential Guide for New Managers. I imagine that'll be available on Amazon. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you or find out more about the work you do, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah. So the book will launch September 20th. And there'll be a big, a big splash on Amazon. It'll be available in paperback, Kindle, and Audible. And you can reach me on LinkedIn. I've got a, a presence on LinkedIn, so that's a great place to reach me. Also, my direct email address is eric at gerardtrainingsolutions.com. Right, eric at gerardtrainingsolutions.com. And again, Eric on LinkedIn, where we've been connected and sharing great content on there. So Eric, thank you again for coming on and sharing some insights from your new book. I'm looking forward to digging into it and seeing how we can help more new managers make that transition from IC into the manager ranks. So thanks again, Eric. Look forward to talking with you more soon. Oh, thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. All right. Take care. All right. That will do it for my interview with Eric Gerard, author of the new book, Lead Like a Pro, The Essential Guide for New Managers. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and got some ideas for how you can help your new managers make the transition from individual contributor to manager. I do think it is still and maybe always will be the biggest challenge out there in talent development and one that everybody is still trying to figure out. I know Eric's book is going to be helpful for that as well as some of the programs that he's run. So if you're interested in working with him, reach out to him. I think he gave his email in there, eric at gerardtraining.com. I know he's active on LinkedIn as well. And Eric's going to be running a session in our community in the near future on manager development. So if you're not yet a member of our talent development think tank community, what are you waiting for? Come check it out. We've got a treasure trove of content in there. We've got a private Slack channel and we have live calls every Wednesday with our group, with different guest speakers on different topics around talent development. Eric will be leading one of them this fall. And you don't have to attend all of the calls, right? You just join the community and you pick and choose the calls that are valuable for you that you can make that fit into your schedule. And then we record all of them. So you catch the recording on the rest if you want to watch that, or you just wait till the next call that you can come to, right? And you'll get value. So again, all the information is on our website, talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. Just click on community. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and click on community. And I hope to see you in there sometime soon. All right, that will do it for today. Stay tuned. Our next episode will be my bonus Q&A conversation with Eric, where I ask him about his greatest accomplishments, failures, challenges, and trends that he's following. It's another good one. So I hope you will check it out. Until then, take care of yourself and try to find some gratitude in the work that you're doing today. Take care.